Thank you for tuning in to another episode of Talking Bay 94, the Star Wars podcast devoted to interviews with the cast, crew, and creators of a galaxy far, far away. I'm your host, Brandon Winerdy, and today I'm talking to Nick Gillard, stunt coordinator for the prequel trilogy. Mr. Gillard was so humble and gracious, literally pulling over during a long car ride to talk to me. I hope you all enjoy our short conversation as much as I did. It is a true honor to say that this is Talking Bay 94, episode 14, Nick Gillard. Thank you for tuning in to another episode of Talking Bay 94. Today is a very, very special episode. We're talking to actually one of the people that uh, inspired me the most kind of growing up with the prequels, uh, Mr. Nick Gillard, uh, stunt coordinator and kind of the creator of, of the modern lightsaber form. So, Mr. Gillard, thank you so much for, for taking the time today and, and talking to us. You're very welcome, Brandon. Before we get into Star Wars, I would love to first talk about your early work and, and what kind of wanted to make you get into this aspect of movie making. It was actually, it, it was a couple of things. It was actually a jacket. I was, um, I was watching Hooper, you know, the movie Hooper. Mm-hmm. I was watching the making of Hooper as a kid and... And there was a, two guys stood in the foreground and they had Stunts Incorporated jackets on with Stunts Incorporated written right up the backs of the sleeves. And I just thought it was the coolest jacket I'd, I'd ever seen. And that was it. That You know, it was Stunts all the way for me. The Burt Reynolds movie, right? That's kind of what... That's right, yeah. So I guess moving... Moving on, your first early works, I guess, as a, as a stuntman, and I know that you did some work on Last Crusade, you were the Alien Queen and Aliens. Are there any kind of those early works that shaped kind of your learning as you moved into Star Wars or anything that really stood out to you now that you look back across a very varied career? You know, I think it's, uh, I think we should say, if, if, if anyone's picking up on a bad quality, it's only that I'm parked up in a lay-by in, on a road on, in the south of England, and I, <laughs> I can barely hear Brandon, but it was... It's a different deal over here. To, to be in this uh, stunt person over here, you have to qualify. It's like a trade. You do an apprenticeship. You have to be an instructor in six sports, and then you get kind of apprenticed under a stunt coordinator or several stunt coordinators. And so, and so you learn your trade as you go along. When I come out of the circus, I was in the circus when I was a lad, and we also used to run a medieval jousting tournament. So. I'd learned all like medieval weapons, quarter staffs and swords when I was doing that. And, you know, that's pretty much what, what we then went on to do in Star Wars it is, is sort of made you know, star fighting and sword fighting, but just faster. Right, much faster. So I guess let, we can talk about Star Wars then. Uh, how did you first, Phantom Menace was the first Star Wars movie you actually ended up working on, what was that like? I guess Rick McCallum probably reached out to you, or, or what was that process like initially? Yeah, I mean, I, I've been working, but, you know, they knew who... I've been working for them anyway. We've been doing the young Indiana Jones chronicles, but, you know, I've been working with them on the on the Indiana Jones movies and stuff. But, yes, Rick... Um, I sort of got wind of it because... Uh, when I was going out one time to Morocco, we were shooting Indiana Jones out there. And they, they often ask you to carry stuff with you, you know, like envelopes and with important papers in that they don't want to send. And they had given me, um, they'd given me this, uh, this packet of envelopes, but they hadn't stuck them down the falls. You know, of course, as soon as I got on the plane, I, I looked in them. <laughs> and, uh, 
they were the storyboards to the, they were the storyboards to the pod race. Oh wow! Uh, and uh, you know, no, nobody had thought there was even going to be a Star Wars movie at that point. Mm-hmm. So, uh, but even I didn't. I'm looking at it, and all it said was SW, and I'm thinking, no, nah, I couldn't be, you know. So, so I had wind of it, and then later on, I'd finished some movie, I don't know, somewhere, and Rick rang and said, you know, come back to England, and we're going to do this. And the rest is history. Did you, I guess, growing up, did you watch the Star Wars movies, and did you ever kind of see the sword fights in there, the Bob Anderson stuff, and, and want to kind of be a part of that universe? Yeah, and, uh, you know, yes, of course. And and loved it as much as everybody else did. I was exactly at the right age when the first one came out. I was 17. And uh, yeah, loved it. But, it, it, you know, I can't carry that on. It's a different... It was 30 years on, and it was also however many years back in the Star Wars history, and they were at their prime. So, you know, George wanted something different, and, and that's what we did. Yeah, I think George said, he, you know, the original trilogy is, uh, you know, a half-robot man, uh, an elderly person, and a, and a young, untrained farm boy that are fighting. And then in these new ones, as you mentioned, they're, they're in their prime. And so, I guess with The Phantom Menace, what was your approach? What were you thinking initially, even before people got cast? What did you want to do with the sword fights? I wanted to, uh, again, I've said it before, and it sort of sounds dull. Everybody else has got a laser gun, you know, or uh, or some kind of, some monster gun. And, uh, I just thought they're going to have to be so quick w- with these things, which is which is a lot of where the twirling came from. I know people don't like the twirling, but I've gone against a lot of people with who, who are good with swords, you know, in different disciplines with swords. And you start twirling at them, they got nowhere to go. Um, you know, I know that's going to upset a lot of people who are listening to this. But that's what this is a movie. It's set in a galaxy far, far away. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, you, you, there is room for movement in a lot of areas for it. But it's it still got to look real. There's also, if you use other sword fighting techniques as examples, there's just too many rules with them. And I, I just wanted something. He said to me, see if you can come up with a new kind of Western martial art. And Mm -hmm. I thought, well, if I were going to do that, there wouldn't be any rules at all. Because, you know, if you're going to get in a fight, you've got to win it. And there's a single rule in Jedi and Sith fighting. That is that if I can cut your head off and at the same time you can cut my leg off, you have to defend your head. Because head, torso, you're going to die. Mm-hmm. limbs are replaceable and so all the moves are set to that so Joe from Albuquerque who goes through every single frame of course they're going to find it because they use different take it is not, it's not always the take that you want it, want it to be and they might be looking the wrong way as the sword's coming you can't get every in thousands of moves you can't get all of them right yeah. But yes, that's the principle. We did it one move at a time. You know, when we were doing the three-way fights, we were like, which was the most difficult with Ray with his double-ended saber and Ewan and Liam. One move at a time because once you get him there, he can get you here. The only compromise is if you can take his head off. You know. Well, I'd love to talk about that then. The At least your Phantom Menace experience was with uh, Liam Neeson, Ian McGregor and Ray Park primarily doing all the fighting. Was there anything that you kind of imparted to them, or how did you kind of approach it? Because those guys, besides Ray Park, are not stunt fighters or, or very, 
used to swinging a lightsaber. So what was your approach to kind of teaching them the ways of, of the Force, really? Well, again, uh, when I developed it, if you like, uh, one of the rules was that you didn't have to conform, <laughs> if you like. To, so you can be 300 pounds and I'll make you look like a Jedi because you go with the way they move. That's the only way. Rather than forcing this discipline on them, there are, there are, we do have a way of writing it so that they can understand it, so that we can write it in like a script form and they could read that and practice it on their own. But So I would go with different movements for them. You and you're never going to have to worry. Whatever you teach Ewan McGregor to do, he'll be better than you at it in a week. So uh-huh. that was never good. And I'd known Ewan from previous before that, so I wasn't worried about him at all. Liam, you know, is a trooper. He's a professional, so you know he's going to slug it out. And Liam's going to have a different shape to the other right. two. So you go with that. You go with that shape. No, and of course, Ray Park, you know, uh, just a, a, an incredible athlete and fighter. Was there anything, I mean, the, the character of Darth Maul, I think, would not be the same if it was played by a different actor. Was there anything specific, I guess, with the double-bladed lightsaber that posed a challenge? Uh, yeah, endless challenges. <laughs> endless, but, you know, that's, that's, that's movie making. Yeah, right. Again, Ray, we uh, we knew of Ray. We were looking for a gymnast or somebody who was good with the sword, so we knew of Ray and... Ray, uh, Ray made it what it is, but you're absolutely right. It could, they were talking about Tricky, the singer, playing that part. There was another time they wanted me to play it. It's the only one you're ever going to know is is the one that plays it, and Ray smashed it out the out the park. Yes, you know. So I think Ray was absolutely Ray was perfect because he he came with fantastic skill. And uh, he, he was absolutely the right person for the job. With Attack of the Clones then, that was kind of a whole new challenge set because you kind of opened the doors to how many people were fighting. You had first the arena scene. I don't know how much input you had in, in that with all the Jedi, but also you introduced Count Dooku. You introduced kind of almost Yoda fighting, which is not actually happening on the set. Uh, what were the challenges there and kind of how did you evolve from The Phantom Menace? We just carried the line. You know, you've got that history and... With Dooku training uh, Obi, that that like there's a fault in that line. Qui Gon, you know, there's there's a little fault in that line. So you can run with that through them. Mm-hmm. So we give them uh, that. That's what changes the the light and the dark of it, if you like. All the people in the arena, yeah, we we had all those. We did have it so that they could all fight at the same time, but we ended up shooting them individually, which may have not been ideal. I think we could have done more with that sequence. But yeah, it was just evolution. But by then, we were up and running. We, it was like writing dialogue you know i mean that what you said about kind of writing a script for an actor makes complete sense where you know they're not used to the world that you normally work in but in order for you to kind of come to their level the the writing out the different movements and the different aspects of the actual fight i think is a very uh, ingenious kind of way to approach it yeah i think it's where they enjoy it the most because it, it does give them something to do and it is very similar to dialogue and once they understand uh, you know, it's particularly that big fight at the end with you and Hayden. One has taught the other, and it, you know, it's. I wrote that like um, like a husband and wife fight that 
Right. She she's attacking him, and he doesn't really, you know, he doesn't he doesn't want to hurt her. He wants, but he's just got to like absorb it for as long as he can. Yeah, they both understood that. We did have a slightly darker version. We had to, we had to tone it down. It was it did run for um, twelve minutes the, oh, wow. from start to end that that fight, and they could do it for that entire run, twelve oh, wow. minutes. They'd learnt it. By then, there was almost we were going trying to go for we never quite achieved it. The point where they didn't even touch lightsabers, where the thought process was so quick that where the other one was going to go, that it, it we were we called it gliding, if you like. <laughs> so the saber almost stayed on each other's saber the entire time and just wow. glided. Uh, we, 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 there are there are a few sections where we pulled it off, but you got to understand, you know, you rehearse those things for two months and you shoot them in two days, and and so there isn't any time to do second or third takes on them. They they go pretty much as they are in the middle that everybody hates, where they you know where they just stand in there batting at each other it was actually fabulous and that was the essence of the entire fight was exactly that that they couldn't break through to the point where they just twirled away from each other we also had a different part just after that but things change you know the, the fight gets edited a different a different way but it, it was a beautiful thing to see in its entirety and in its correct order it was a lovely thing to see now I want to see this 12-minute version more than anything else. There were, well, just because of the, you know, the way that the movie has to be cut, things have, you know, have to be changed in the edit. It's, it's, it's always the case. But yeah, I mean, there was, not necessarily that one. I think it still looked all right. There was, a, there was a little bit where it was out of order, which would have been nice. But there was a, there was a fight with Obi and um, six of Grievous's bodyguards at one point all of whom had effectively double-ended lightsabers mm-hmm. and he takes on six of them and it was a wow it was one of our most favorite fights we ever did and it really really was because when we started it we thought not in a million years can this be done you know you there were so many, there were so many places that they could get you, and then slowly we started to work a way of doing it. I've, I've actually got footage of it, test footage, and it's still my favourite thing. But we didn't have any time to shoot it on the day, and so it had to go. I guess now looking back at those three movies, are there any moments, whether while practicing or on set, that you kind of cherish the most, or any experiences with the actors or the crew? That that kind of reflect that time to you the most. Oh, you know, there's so many on that. It was a Phantom Menace was probably the most fun because none, you know, none of us we we there was there hadn't been a Star Wars for 30 years, so it was no pressure. You know, you just got on with it. And by the time we got to two, you know, it was just monstrous by then. You started to take it. I think we all started to take it a little too seriously and had had less fun. But um, oh, Phantom Menace, I could, every single day, you know, it was every day. And the rap party was... You know, people are still talking about that in Watford. No, that's that's footage I want to see. Then I need to see. They need to release that as a special feature. Just the rap party, just a a camera from it. There, there is somewhere because I saw at the rap party 
like a, uh, you know, that reel they do where they cut all the bad stuff together and there was some fantastic stuff in there. Dang, for the next big Blu-ray release, I'm sure, though. Yeah, Lucasfilm are never going to give you that. <laughs> I mean, I guess kind of moving from Star Wars then, the legacy you left with, with those Star Wars movies, even just moving past the Star Wars movies itself, has been tremendously felt throughout all of the movies that have come out since. What have you been working on on since and kind of what project maybe are you working on right now that, that you're excited about or, or that you would want people to go check out? Well, funnily enough, I had a bit of a gut fall of it. Not after Star Wars, I loved Star Wars. And I went on to do a few other movies and it, I was never home, you know, I had no life, there was, uh, not, these are executive problems, don't get me wrong. I started to think what I, what I loved about it, you know, and, and I thought I loved the journey most of all, not necessarily the destination. Mm-hmm. And I believe it or not, I went back and I thought, well, I'm going to go and do it again. And that's what I've been doing. I went back to a very tiny little television. This was after doing one of the biggest movies in the world that year. A week later, I was working on the smallest television program in England, which is a long-running medical drama called Casualty, and loved it. And I I did a few like that, and then I started, I went back into television exactly when it was the right time to go back in there, too, because Game of Thrones and stuff like that. So I did all of these kind of long-running, fantastic. I did a little movie last year in, in New Orleans called The Domestics. See, they're doing a, like a limited release of it. It's a fantastic movie by a guy called Mike P. Nelson. Um, but yeah, as I say, at the moment, I'm jogging along doing to I've just been asked to do a very large movie which I can't tell you too much about at the moment and to be honest I'm sort of nervous of it because I'm I'm thoroughly enjoying uh, television at the moment strange thing to hear I know but you know if I yeah listening to this you know and you you get that far don't be to go back and do it again because it's that's what it's all about I think that's that's great advice, right? You mentioned it's the it's the journey, it's the people that you do it with, and and that's really what matters at the end of the day. Yeah, it really is, and that's where all the the young talent is as well. Right. Well, I'm sure you inspired a, a whole host of that young talent and a new generation of the people that are coming through. I know, just me personally, I I think we there were those plastic beater lightsabers that came out, and I I choreographed who knows how many hours of of tape footage with my little brothers just inspired by what you you put on the screen and so really uh, more than any other interview i've really done uh, thank you so much for for kind of the inspiration and, and really just putting all of that heart and soul into the star wars movie so um thank you thank you again uh bless you mate listen that's uh, heart and soul anything you do put your heart and soul in it that's what makes it fun well mr gillard uh i don't want to take too much more of your time but again uh, this was a, a true honor and uh, a real privilege and, and thank you so much and, and good luck with everything you're doing you're welcome brandon bye mate bye Thank you so much again to Mr. Gillett for telling such great stories and imparting such great wisdom from his time on set. Again, it is hard not to understate his importance to what we consider integral to the Star Wars universe, and I hope we can all appreciate his contributions to the saga. And definitely check out his latest film, The Domestic, starring Kate Bosworth. And then until next week, stay tuned, 
leave a five-star review, and may the force be with you.